When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to The Drill Down, the business stories behind stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson. Today is Wednesday, June 16. Well, just ahead, Oracle sets its sights on cloud domination. Plus, a share offering makes Blue Apron shareholders sick. And we're going to look at Plug Power with a massive balance sheet and a restatement behind it. Can this company become the Amazon of hydrogen fuel cells that it wants to be? We'll drill down with the Plug Power CEO. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. Era's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And you can listen to The Drill Down on any of your favorite podcast platforms. Maybe it's the one you're on right now, or you can switch to something else. I don't know, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeart, TuneIn, whatever it is. Subscribe to our show, download every show, click the follow button so you don't miss a single episode. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We're going to explain the business stories behind some stocks on the move. Joining me as always, executive producer, Isaac Webster. Isaac, what are the three most important business stories of this day? Well, Corey, number one, Federal Reserve officials signaling they expect to raise interest rates by late 2023. I guess that was going to be one of your stories. (laughs) Yeah. Shocker. Exactly. It is a shock. You know, it's it's different. It's not what we knew was going to happen. That's sooner than they anticipated back in March. Fed officials also discussed reducing its massive bond buying program, but the timing on that is uncertain. Of course, behind the Fed's policy shift is a much stronger economic rebound and hotter inflation than the central bank anticipated just a few months ago. Inflation, inflation. And we and look, you listen to this show, you have heard how many CEOs mentioned inflation, mentioned rising prices, rising price of goods, the difficulty of hiring people, having to pay people more money. That's what the Fed's responding to. Inflation not, would be not, a great drinking game for this I'm not podcast. saying Jay Powell's been listening to this show. He should be. He might. Then he, you know, but this is the kind of information our listeners have been getting from the show of late. Exactly. Now, number two story that we're following right now is the, a new National Association of Realtors reports. It finds that U.S. housing market needs 5.5 million more units. The report points to decades of chronic underbuilding that it says has left the U.S. housing market with a colossal gap between consumer demand and nationwide supply. Of course, this has fueled the recent surge in home prices that we've also been talking about. And this report calls for a once-in-a-generation policy response. Yeah, and, and it also called for all kinds of housing, mixed you know, apartment buildings, yeah. uh, uh, pricing at, at every price point in the, in the sort of housing world, um, and, and asking the Biden administration to consider this as the infrastructure bill uh, gets closer to being a reality. And finally, the third business story that we're following right now, because we can't go a day without talking about electric cars on this show. General Motors, 
says can't. it will boost spending Couldn't on we? electric. <laughs> we probably could, and we have. But uh, General Motors says it will boost spending on electric and autonomous vehicles to $35 billion through 2025. That's the second increase in spending on EVs in recent months from GM. GM also plans to add two more battery factories in the U.S. So I guess Tesla won't be the only game in town. You know, Can you believe they use my voice promoting the Tesla? Yet another drinking game we could have in this podcast. I'm still Every pissed. time you mention this, <laughs> take a shot. I mean, honestly, Elon Musk, have you no shame? All right, Isaac, one more thing. On our June 11 show, we talked about Urban One. I misstated the name of the founder. I called her the wrong name. She's Kathy Hughes. She's a legend in the broadcasting business, the founder of Urban One. And I'm excited to say that her son, Alfred Liggins III, the CEO of Urban One, uh, fascinating guy in his own right. He's going to join us uh in a few weeks to talk about uh, what's going on with this company and their casino project in Richmond. And we're stoked about that. I'm really excited to hear more about this company, Urban One. Now, Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Well, let's look at Oracle. Oracle, O-R-C-L. Shares fell 5% today, but they've gained 41% in a year. What's going? What's new with Oracle? Yeah, the, the, the behavior of the market today, I don't think reflected the results that these guys put up. I mean, they put up a really strong quarter and they're moving into a more profitable business and they announced that they're going to um, uh, put some big investments behind that business. So what are we talking about? We're talking about the cloud. We're talking about Oracle moving and we've been talking about this for the Oracle for 10 years, moving from on-premise software to cloud offerings. And they have had a huge push there for years to make that move with all their customers. And it's working. They're seeing great growth. They're seeing growth in their products they've developed. They've seen products that they've acquired, like NetSuite, NetSuite, uh, NetSuite ERP, right? So NetSuite um, is a cloud-based offering of, of all kinds of software. But ERP, uh, the Enterprise Resource Planning Software, had a 26% increase in sales uh, in the fiscal fourth quarter for Oracle. Um, it's funny for me to read the, the press release from Oracle and see that they, they define themselves as an Austin company because they officially moved their headquarters there. But of course, they still have a huge presence here in Silicon Valley, defining a part of Silicon Valley, I think, in Redwood City. Nonetheless, they are now based in Austin, Texas. And they talked about um, all the growth they're seeing in their cloud business. Again, 26% for NetSuite ERP, Fusion ERP, another one of their offerings up uh, 46%. Um, their autonomous database doubling in sales. Overall, revenues were up only 8% year-over-year. Um, uh, cloud services as well up 8% year-over-year. Cloud license and on-premise license up 9%. Uh, but, you know, a pretty strong quarter from Oracle across the board, uh, regardless of the stock price move today. And when you listen to CEO Safra Katz, who now has been, you know, officially, it's, it's been more than a year since the passing of the former uh, co-CEO, Mark Hurd, Safra's been in charge for a year. She's made a lot of changes. She's changed some leadership. She's promoted some people from within uh, to some pretty big jobs. Um, and uh, it's it's her show right now. And Larry's show, Larry Ellison, of course, still. But listen to what she had to say about how profitable the cloud business is going to be is right now and how much money they're about to sink into it. As I've said many times over the last two years, our overall revenue growth is continuing to accelerate as our fast-growing cloud business becomes a larger portion of our total revenue. I see total revenue for fiscal 2022 growing faster than fiscal 21 with constant currency revenue growth somewhere 
in mid-single digits. Given our increasing confidence in revenue growth and our unique and differentiated position in the market, we are going to invest back in the business at a greater rate so we can further accelerate the top line. We also see cloud as being fundamentally a more profitable business compared to on-premise. And as everyone knows, our annual non-GAAP margins of 47%, and that's what we run the business at, are in fact the highest non-GAAP margins of all of our competitors. And we believe that now is the right time to increase our investment to capture market share. As such, we expect to roughly double our cloud CapEx spend in FY 2022 to nearly $4 billion. $4 billion. That's dollars, Isaac. $4 billion. These are, these are, these are real numbers this company is spending. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if they're also looking at acquisitions. They have a famous M&A team within that company that works very fast. And this could be a, a place that they look to do those acquisitions to grow that business even faster. Nick Corey, what is your next drill down? Well, let's look at the shares or let's look at the business behind Blue Apron. Blue Apron, APRN, shares fell 21% today and they've fallen 56% over the past 12 months. What is going on with Blue Apron? Full disclosure, I've been a longtime customer. Well, let's talk about that, Isaac. I think the last yeah. time I ate at your house, it was probably, it was years ago, about three years ago, four years ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think you made Blue Apron then. Probably. We, I mean, we've been Blue, we have been Blue Apron clients, customers since it was in beta. That's unbelievable. Because, and I say that yeah. not just because, I mean, we I, love I know it. Your, your fidelity is great. I'm, I'm a Sunbasket <laughs> guy myself. Okay. Completely biased because my sister-in-law runs Sunbasket. But uh, nonetheless, um, the Blue Apron business uh, is based on, obviously, they they send stuff, recipes to your house, and they send food to your house, and they send, uh, and, and they do it on a regular basis, a subscription basis, and they spend a lot of marketing to get new customers. And that's kind of the model, right? The more money they put yep. in marketing, the more customers they have. The goal, of course, is to keep those customers. And Isaac, you are rare. Most of their customers don't stay, uh, you're rare in many ways, but they don't stay around that long. (laughs) Now, have you found, let me uh, do some real-time market research here. Have you found that the cooking time on their recipes has gone down? Because that was one of the things where the average cooking time was well over an hour in its early days. And they said they brought that way down. Uh, That's what the the new CEO says, not so new, two-year-old CEO uh, at this company says. Have you found that? No, I haven't. I haven't noticed that at all. Um, No, but... All, uh, They're saying yeah. some of these are, are down to a half an hour. They're saying some are like single pan recipes uh, that can be They're, cooked in less than a half an hour. And, and I, you know, that's a big deal because that was a big complaint from their customers. And what happened was customers churned out. They'd sign up for the service. They'd get a great deal to start it. They'd do it a couple of times and say, oh, this food stinks or this food takes too long to cook or I don't like to eat this way. During the pandemic, when people couldn't get food, they flocked to Blue Apron and they flocked to Blue Apron's competitors. But what Blue Apron has said is that they've managed to keep some of those people. It looked like it was good news for them. Uh, when you looked at the stock chart today, I'm sure you saw as the stock flew at the beginning of the pandemic up to over $20 a share. Now it's, a, uh, I can't remember what you said, $3 a share or so? Well, I didn't say what it was per share. Let me take a look. Well, in, in, um, in any case, 
Um, four dollars. Yeah. So this company four four um, four thirty four. When they're talking about fixing all of their recipes, when they're talking about fixing their operations, and they've been talking in the last couple of conference calls about spending more money on marketing now that they've got the operations right. They were asked many times, well, have you got the money to do that? Can you afford to do more marketing? Are you going to raise some money by borrowing money or selling stock? Um, the offering today uh, was poorly greeted by Wall Street when they announced they're going to sell a bunch of shares to raise more money because, you know, as, as recently as March, to listen to what the chief financial officer of Blue Apron, Randy Greben, had to say at a Morgan Stanley conference in March. One of the things that we talked about in our Q4 earnings call was um, the strength of our balance sheet. And when you look at, at our, our current position, the vast majority of our debt is long-term debt. The current portion of our long-term debt is, is fairly small, meaning that we believe that we have the capital infrastructure in place to do all of the strategic things that we're, that are on our roadmap in, in 2020 or 2021. And we have talked about reinvestment in marketing. This is not reinvest in marketing at all costs. This is not grow at all costs. This is targeting the customers that we know uh, our model works for and where we can bring value to them. So while we will invest, it will be in a targeted fashion. And we remain uh, of the belief that we have the liquidity to do so. Well, something's changed since the beginning of March because they clearly decided they don't have the liquidity to do what they need. And they had to sell a bunch more shares. Um, the market reacted to that negatively, I think, because there's concern how long can these guys stay afloat? Even in the last conference call, I didn't play this bite for you, but the CEO is saying, we expect to be free cash flow positive at some point in the future. And and the suggestion was, we can get there, we can get there, we can get there. We got to sell some more stock quick. And that's what happened today. Corey, what is your next drill down? I want to look at H&R Block, which reported earnings um, uh, right after the close. HRB shares fell 6% today, but they've gained 31% in a year. What's What did H&R Block say? Well, listen, they, they, they had a great quarter. Remember, we talked about Blue Core yesterday. Also said they had a great quarter selling tax software to tax professionals. Um, but uh, they had a, you know, it was an interesting year, right? It's an it understatement of all time. Um, but what was happening tax-wise is really interesting, right? You had... That the tax cuts that took place um, two years ago kind of really taking full effect right now. You had um, delays in the filing periods, both for 2020 and for 2021. You had uh, uh, an enormous amount of tax implications for COVID relief, whether it was unemployment, changes in the tax treatment of unemployment. There were tax treatments that changed after the fact for things that had happened in the past. It was a really complicated time for uh, tax return preparation, and H&R Block really benefited from this. Um, and what was interesting to me, uh, uh, their call was a lot of things, but one was a lot of people who don't file tax returns, yes, there are a lot of people who don't file tax returns, filed for the first time last year. So what does this mean for H&R Block for the future? Well, the question is, what will the behavior of those people be in the uh, going forward? Did they see some benefit from filing a tax return? Are they the kind of people who will have uh, income in the future and, and won't file a tax return in order to get a benefit? Some of the, the COVID relief benefits you only got after filing a tax return to prove what your status was. Otherwise, those people wouldn't have bothered to file at all. Does H&R Block want to keep some of those people? And can they do some data mining to figure out 
which customers they should who are first time ever follow or one time filers and should they go after those people because they've got other assets and they might actually be good customers for the future. Listen to the chief financial officer, Tony Bowen of H&R Block. Do you think the one-time filers is probably the biggest impact for the industry and then obviously for H&R Block as well? Um, it was great to see we're able to over-index and gain market share, you know, in that those filers come into the market for the first time. It's hard to know exactly how many are in the industry as well as H&R Block. I mean, some of those are identified because basically their AGI is zero and those are fairly easy to identify. But there's several filers that we believe came off the sidelines who don't normally file and they're a little bit more in the mix for the overall industry and harder to identify. So we've assumed some headwind going into next year. That's why Jeff talked about flat to slightly down for the industry. That's largely driven by those some of those one-time filers going back to the sidelines. One of the things we focus on, though, is how do we make sure that we retain as many clients as we possibly can and show the benefits of continuing to file for some of those clients who maybe historically haven't done it. So, so I think it's super interesting, right? So they're going to try to find those people who came in once and, and figure out which ones to keep, uh, presumably not those who have a, an AGI-adjusted gross income of zero. All right, well, coming up next on The Drill Down, we're going to look at Plug Power, a fascinating, controversial company uh, that's making some green energy products, has a very rich balance sheet, and a newly cleaned up uh, financial filings by restating a bunch of prior earnings. We're going to talk to the CEO of Plug Power. But first. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. ERA's event access and monitoring intelligence platform improves earnings season and the investor events in between. Through comprehensive calendar tracking, one-click event access, dynamic monitors, multicasting, and more. Powered by an advanced language processing engine, which consumes some 40,000 investor events annually across 10,000 global equities. Learn more at ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And remember to join The Drill Down on Twitter and Instagram at DrillDownPod. And check out our website, bizpod.net. Let us know what stocks we should be drilling down on. Welcome back to The Drill Down. We are joined by the CEO of Plug Power, Andy Marsh, joins us from the Adirondacks, I figure, Andy. I don't know where you guys are based up there in Albany, New York area. Well, we're actually in Latham, New York, right across from the airport. And I'm sitting in beautiful Saratoga Springs. Oh, that is a lovely place. You know, I, um, uh, I'm i interested in, in so many things about your company. And I, I guess what I want to do is I want to unpack the technology and then I want to talk about your business and how you sell it. And it, and I will sure. say, it's good that you're across the airport because it sounds like you are all over the place. I listen to your conference calls. It sounds <laughs> like you're, you've just gone from one customer in Korea to the next customer in, in, uh, in, in Paris and then glamorous Rochester, New York, <laughs> my hometown. <laughs> It, it, that actually is a glamorous place. It is a beautiful place this time of year. It is um, a beautiful uh, place. <laughs> don't miss the Lilac Festival, but I digress. So explain to me the technology uh, uh, that Plug Power deploys with green hydrogen. Sure. So it's really kind of fairly straightforward, Cody. We can take green energy uh, like power from Niagara Falls, just like George Westinghouse did. And uh, he distributed electricity. We take that green hydropower, uh, use a device called an electrolyzer, which uh, can split water into hydrogen and oxygen. And that hydrogen is green hydrogen, which can be used in a multitude of applications, everything from 
forklift trucks, to on-road vehicles, to airplanes, to ground support equipment at airports. And uh, so what do these electrolyzers look like? And this isn't necessarily a new technology, is it? Well, um, it's not a new technology, but it's, uh, you know, the company, we acquired a company that gave us capabilities here. We, we are experts in fuel cell technology and done more fuel cells than anyone else. But uh, we bought a company called Geter ELX that uh, had been developing electrolyzers for 47 years, uh, mostly in things which are used in space or underneath the water. And uh, that's the technology we use and we're in continuing to improve that technology. And just like most technologies, we're looking to make it more efficient, smaller, and uh, easier for customers and uh, to use. And talk, what kind of customers do you have to this point? What's a sort of typical use case? So um, today our big market is actually forklift trucks. 25% um, of the food in the United States during COVID actually moved through Plug Power's products at one time. Uh, we have over 40,000 units deployed. Our two biggest customers are Amazon and Walmart, but we have people like Home Depot, BMW, and many others using our products. And we have products for on-road vehicles, products for uh, backing up large data centers. And, you know, Plug Power has a broad array of capabilities to meet many applications. You know, and if you and, maybe take me down to the, the unit basis then. So when you sell things, what is the thing that you're selling? You're actually selling the... The, the the tank that sits in the back of a forklift <laughs> that, uh, that that is being used? Well, we actually sell coating much more than that. So that hydrogen fuel that makes that fuel cell work, we sell. The hydrogen fueling station that needs to interconnect to that fuel cell, we sell. That fuel cell that sits in the forklift truck or on-road vehicle, we sell. We also sell... Uh, the services to continue to make that work. And, you know, this year we'll do over $475 million. Which is a lot more than you have done in the past. I mean, if I look at the March quarter from a year ago, you know, that would be the, you know, you did 41 million in sales. So that's, uh, it was a low quarter for you, but nonetheless, that's a, that's a substantial increase in the business. Uh, to what do you owe that success? Uh, Many years of hard work, Cody. I've been at Plug Power for 13 years, and I have a great. First, I owe that success to my great staff. Uh, you know, we've been you know working what I often say in the wilderness for years, and uh, you know, making success, having success with people like Walmart and Amazon under the radar screen. And I think people, you know, we sell a value proposition. Uh, people see that they're able to move more goods in an hour. And that's what makes people excited about fuel cells in the material handling space. On on-road vehicles, I think people look at it and say, they're smaller, they're lighter than batteries, and they're the future for especially commercial vehicles. And let me be clear, Cody, that's really where I think there's a unique value proposition for fuel cells. And it's why we were able to do a JV with Renault where it's not just plug power selling the fuel cells, we're selling the on-road vehicle with Renault, we're selling the fueling station, we're selling the hydrogen generation. And, you know, much like the Tesla model, when you think about it, Corey. And, you know, so we offer people turnkey total solutions. And, you know, with a new technology, you often have to do that to make it easy for customers to 
adopt the technology. Yeah, I mean, I would say uh, uh, the, the the benefits of the Tesla model have not shown up on the on the income statement certainly, and uh, <laughs> I wonder, or on the free cash flow uh, of that business. I mean, it, it seems that it, you know one could look at the Tesla model as say they they sell uh, energy credits. Where where does the sort of government regulation and and the the movement towards green energy um, affect your ability to make money? Sure, you know first. Uh, there's competitive market forces that uh, you know we talked about uh, how green hydrogen is generated from renewable electricity as the cost of renewable electricity goes down and we're building plants in texas using wind in california using solar uh, the cost of our hydrogen becomes cost competitive with fossil fuel generated hydrogen um, policy though is important uh, you know, let me just highlight two items in Biden's Build Back Better plan. One is a tax production tax credit for hydrogen and for green hydrogen, which would provide a $3 per kilogram tax credit. And so what's a kilogram? It's about two gallons of gasoline when you think about it from a wells to wheels analysis. Uh, there's also a 10-year fuel cell tax credit at 30%, which is part of Build Back Better which will help companies like Plug Power take off even faster. And look, uh, Plug is well positioned to build out. We have $5 billion on the balance sheet. We're well positioned, excuse me, to yeah, build out the hydrogen amount, economy. That's an incredible amount of money on the balance sheet uh, for a company that's doing $400 million in sales uh, you know, for the next year, let alone on a trailing basis. Um, does, why have you raised so much money um, and and – you know, when is that four, when is that four billion going to turn into profits? And I, <laughs> I asked a question not just for me. One of our one of our uh, listeners uh, sent me a tweet saying, "You got to ask this guy. He's got all his money in the balance sheet. When are we going to see earnings?" <laughs> well, let me start out by saying that uh, we're the Amazon of hydrogen fuel cells. I'm focused on building out the first green hydrogen network across the United States. Uh, we're going to add as much liquid hydrogen to the United States as all my competitors have at the moment of natural gas generated hydrogen. By 2024, we're projecting this company will do $1.7 billion in revenue. Uh, we'll have EBITDA over $250 million and OI in the range of $200 million plus. So, uh, you know, during that journey, that's when we'll be there, uh, but we're spending that money to build out products that no one else in the industry has. How reliant are you on? Well, for people who haven't seen it, the electrical uh, power generation from Niagara is just jaw-dropping to see. Particularly <laughs> if you fly over it or if you drive around there, because there are just power lines everywhere um, in that area, uh, flowing uh, particularly east from Niagara to Buffalo and across the state of New York and 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 beyond. Um, is that uh, your principal source of power? You know, obviously when you're doing projects all over the world, you presumably you're going to need other places to get that power. So down in Texas with Apex, uh, we're doing a site where uh, we're going to use wind power. And in California, we're going to use solar power. And uh, you know we have a plant in uh, Georgia that's uh, leveraging renewable electrical credits off the grid. So uh, we have a mixture. The key item, I think, Cody, is how much you're paying for that renewable electricity. And we've done a real good job of 
and this is a really a nuance, but sourcing power on the right side of the meter. So like our Niagara power, falls power, doesn't right. go through a meter, it goes directly to us and that reduces the cost significantly. So we're buying electricity really wholesale. Well, it's some of the cheapest power in the country. Although, I, yeah. you know, as in you've highlighted this in your recent conference calls and communications with investors, that your um, the cost of your power has gone down as so many other resources have gone into developing solar, developing wind, and making those so much more economical that uh, it seems like uh, some, uh, pardon the pun, but it, it's flipped a switch for plug power. <laughs> I think it has flipped the switch for plug power. And look, uh, let's not... Uh, forget that, you know, the goal to go cleaner uh, is going across the world. But it's not driven here in the United States. It's foremost driven by consumers. People want to buy green products, which is driving people like Walmart and Amazon, Microsoft and others to have initiatives to get to net zero carbon. And fuel cells and hydrogen are critical in many applications for them to meet that need. And the low cost of renewable electricity because of the scale of wind and solar has really allowed this to be a real driver so that we can provide customers uh, what I view as better products and what I view as at equal cost. And that's is there, where is there this metric industry there? is going. Is there a metric that would sort of let us say like five years ago it cost you X per kilowatt and now it's costing yeah. you Y? Yeah. So, you know, if I look at it, uh, Five years ago, we would have been at six, seven cents a kilowatt hour. And the cost of green hydrogen directly correlated to the cost of electrical input. And today we can buy that same electricity at places for three cents and sometimes under three cents a kilowatt hour. That's dramatic. I mean, it also seems that the uh, an updated grid, which has been suggested as part of the infrastructure plan, would really make a difference because the you know generating the power is one thing, getting it to its ultimate source is, is, is another. It would allow you know even more uh, to get to their eventual sources and theoretically lower the price of power. Um, so Cody, I I think that's going to happen. I know people are always skeptics, but I I worked in wireless in 1983, and nobody thought everybody would have one of these walking around the world and getting a phone call if you're sitting in the middle of India from the United States. So we're going the same way in energy. Uh, these dreams of batteries and fuel cells and um, biofuels, 10 years from now, they'll start, everybody will be commonplace, just like cell phones became commonplace. And that's where we're heading. Let me ask you about your partnership with SK. You've been talking about this for a while. You said it was gonna close second quarter. Here, here we're talking here in, in June, which is close to the end of the second quarter. Where are you with the SK deal? So, uh, Corey, we actually, we've actually closed on $1.6 billion in investment from SK, and that's been done. Uh, now, my public statements has been the SKJV would be completed in the third quarter. I said the Renault JV would be completed in go. the second quarter. Thank you. And that was, that was done a couple of weeks ago. So you're on track with that. What 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 kind of things are you trying to get done with SK? It's, it's such a huge, you know, second largest conglomerate in, in um, Korea. Um, it's it can't be easy to negotiate those right. things because they're in so many business lines, and presumably they could use your stuff uh, throughout many of those business lines. Yeah. So let me tell you one of the first products, which uh, we'll be taking um, 
chloralkali waste streams, which are essentially plastics that they made. And uh, usually uh, they're burning off gas into the air. And part of that gas is hydrogen. We'll be cleaning that gas up, generating hydrogen, putting that hydrogen into a fuel cell and putting electricity on the grid. And by 2025, we'll have 400 megawatts deployed in South Korea alone. Wow. So that's just one. That, yeah, it's a lot. That's one project that we're working with SK on. Fascinating stuff. Well, Andy, we could talk for a while, but we can't talk forever. I appreciate your time. <laughs> Andy Marsh, CEO of Plug Power. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Corey. Appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. Up next, the drill down by that one number that tells us a whole lot. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. Era's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A dot com. We hope you listen to The Drill Down every day. So many of our listeners tell us this is their single stop for business news every day. About a half an hour, you learn a lot, I hope. But hit that subscribe button. Follow us on your favorite podcast platform. You can catch each and every Drill Down episode. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at Drill Down Pod. And connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. We're back with the Drill Down Bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. Isaac, I was mentioning earlier the uh, power generation from the dams on the Niagara River that lead towards yeah. Niagara Falls. We've all seen Niagara Falls. Have you been to Niagara Falls ever? I have. It's been a long time, but yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a regular stop for us when I grew up in that general area. Uh, well, there's a ton of power generated there. How much? That's the drill down bite. The number is 4.9 million kilowatts a day. That's enough to power 3.8 million homes, about 4 million homes. Um, but it's split wow. between Canada and the U.S. So the Canadian side... Has a capacity of about 2.2 million kilowatts. The U.S. side, 2.7 million kilowatts. Uh, but it's an enormous amount of power that is generated uh, on the cheap. That's a that's a powerful waterfall right there. That some heart shaped beds. What's not to love? <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you for joining the drill down. We appreciate your time. I'm Corey Johnson. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. The drill down is a production of the Business Podcast Network.